Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm excited about today's program. with my friend Drew Dick joining us to talk about the ins and outs of Christian publishing. This may be a little inside baseball, I don't know, but um, I figure if I'm interested in this, other people might be as well. How are, how are you, brother? I'm doing good, man. I got to say, I feel like you've developed a decent radio voice. <laughs> yeah. Have I? You go, like, welcome back to the blunt, you know? Yeah, I've been yeah. I've been told. You kind of put on the, just like you have like the preaching voice, yeah. you kind of have the, yeah. the buttery, you have smooth to. radio Right. If you just whisper, it sounds like NPR or something, you know? So you got to. <laughs> but I need, a, I, need a, I need a better barker. name. That's what. Than yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> That's My name true. is Maxwell Furniture's Polish. And I'm here. To- well, I've, I've noticed with all the NPR hosts, they have weird names. Yeah. And maybe okay. they're just weird to me like as Ira a, Glass a Western or things like yeah, that. Yeah. Or Lakshmi Singh or, you know, they're. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's a, Wait, a qualifying thing. Why is that weird? Because it's foreign. I know, not, right? It, I said weird not, to me. It's not a Eurocentric, an ethnocentric, ethnocentric Westerner like me. It's we're weird. off okay. on a great foot here. I'm here with the I'm very sorry. white Drew Dick, who is fr- he's so white. He's from Canada. He's Canadian and white. <laughs> I I reflect the snow, the light <laughs> off the snow. Yes, I'm. Gleaming. I was just uh, well. I was about to say your neck of the woods. It wasn't your neck of the woods. I was just up in. I was on the other end. I was in Montreal. I mean, you're ta- you're oh, you're in Washington. Those are, those State, are real right? Canadians, but yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I'm from Western Canada, but yes, I am now just 15 minutes north of Portland, Oregon. Got you. Okay, so I know you live Washington stateside, but I gotta tell you, you know, I had what I had for the first time. I think this is a Montreal thing, so maybe it's not a thing for you at all. But the smoked meat, which I I guess is oh a thing. See, I've never even been that oh, far east. Okay. Yeah, Montreal smoked so meat. You know more really than good. me. Yeah, and then of course I had poutine. No poutine? Yes, poutine. You did? Oh, you did. Yeah, I had poutine twice. I, I had to. That's good for you too. Yeah. That's <laughs> well, I noticed I weighed recommended. myself when I got home and it actually, there wasn't a big change on the scale. So I was pretty pleased with myself. I was able to. Are you sure you weren't doing maintain. kilograms instead of pounds? <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> oh, look at that. Only 14 stone. That's yeah. not so bad. We're talking with Drew today about Christian publishing, not only because he is a published author, numerous books. Your future self will thank you, Yawning at Tigers. Did I get that one right? It's it's Yawning at Tigers, right? That's Um, right. But he's also an editor for Moody Publishers, acquisitions editor. Well, I mean, what's your title there? That's right. Acquisitions editor, which okay. just, yeah, means I'm evaluating ideas and you decide, man, like what gets I'm the, inside I'm the gatekeeper. The, yeah. What's I'm what the gets gate. inside the castle? It might get thrown out of the grandiose. castle. <laughs> I can't make unilateral decisions. No, unfortunately. no, no. Like the pub board you know? may throw these books yeah. out of the castle, but you decide what actually comes inside the walls. Right. right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So this is already <laughs> some inside baseball because I think the average person who's not familiar with the ins and outs of publishing they would think an acquisitions editor is acquiring the books and is making those decisions. And what you're doing is deciding what kind of gets a fair hearing, right? You're, you're acquiring yeah. manuscripts and those sorts of things. Um, the first filter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So I've got several questions here that are kind of going to seem all over the place. The first question that I want to ask you is about the sheer volume of books that are coming out. I mean, in in general, I think there's more book, you know, books being published across the board, Christian market and outside than ever before, which is an interesting thing because, you know, if you look at sort of the doomsdayers of 20, 30 years ago, they would be like, literacy's down, no one's going to be reading books in mm. however long. But books are doing great. 
In fact, even the ebook kind of revolution, print books are still doing great, right? They're not out of fashion. Right. Or, so we have more books than ever before. This, this is certainly true in the Christian market. You may have to tread lightly here. I don't know. But are we more quantity than quality, do you think? <laughs> are, are they better? I guess is that that's my question. Well, of course, I'm not speaking for the books I acquire. That's right. All that's incredible. right. So speak for the right. other publishers. Yeah. With that caveat. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think you're right. I mean, yes, uh, this is probably obvious to people that are even outside the industry or don't even think about it, but there are way more books now. Right. And I don't know if that's, I would love to think that's a reflection of people reading more. It may not be. It's maybe due to the fact that it's so easy to self-publish books now. And so that's led to just an explosion in publishing. But I mean, yeah, you look at the industry and book sales are slightly up over the last few years. Maybe during the pandemic, people got bored of watching Netflix and said, hey, I'll crack open a book. <laughs> but to your question about quantity and quality, I think like sometimes people look at all the books and they go, oh, wow, I can never write a book. You know, what's the point? There's so many coming out every year. And that's true. But often when you look at the quality it's not great or some that are, you know, they're, they're decently written, but it's kind of like the same old thing you've seen before. So if you have an idea that's good and you can execute it well, there's always uh, readers out there for you. Yeah. Let me put it this way. So I, I was speaking earlier this morning with, with Barnabas Piper about his newest book. When we were done talking, done recording for our episode, I just said, Hey, I'm talking with Drew Dick later. So he's worked on the editorial side. And of course he's an author as well. I wanted to know, like, was there a question? Like, do you, anything like burning that, you know, I should make sure I asked you this? And he sort of dovetailed with this idea of like, there's more books now than ever before. And wanted to know, like, is it possible for us to have a knowing God again? Is it possible for us mm. to have a desiring God even again? Like yeah, that, that one question. landmark book that seems to be read across tribal boundaries. Mm. I feel like things are so siloed in a sense now. They're more... Uh, evangelicalism is is so balkanized that now there's like sub markets. There's not just the evangelical market, right? It's markets. I, yeah. I see this on kind of the the author questionnaire things I get when the marketing department gets involved, and they're like, "Be really specific. Who's this book for?" And it's not you can't just say it's for Christians, <laughs> and mm-hmm. you can't just say it's for evangelicals. You have to say like it's for the thirty five year old soccer mom who you know or whatever. Is it possible for us to even have like the book anymore. I know there's bestsellers, but it even seems mm-hmm. like bestsellers tend to sort of, they burn bright, but also fast. And mm-hmm. even the best, even our bestsellers don't seem to be like two, three years later, people are, are still reading that particular book or it doesn't seem to have legs. So your insights, that's a long setup, I know, but yeah, your insights no, towards the state of the it's market, the kind of quality, what's the trajectory there, do you think? No, I don't think it's impossible okay. for one of those kind of big books to take off among evangelicals, but it's way harder for the reasons that you mentioned, because we are so <clears throat> tribalized and fractured as evangelicals. So the problem is someone will be like, okay, I don't want to read your book about God, your, your general book, until I know your stance on, I don't know, women in ministry or, uh, you know, pedo-baptism, uh, yeah. you name it, right? All these other kind of secondary issues that are still important, don't get me wrong. There's less willingness, I think, than a generation ago to kind of go, hey, I don't care where you stand on these secondary issues. I will uh, read your book. You kind of want to see if those people check your unique theological boxes before you'll hear from them. So that presents a challenge, yeah, to publishers because we're generalists, right? We don't want to just reach one little niche or tiny denomination. We like to publish things that are broadly read, but it is more difficult. You're absolutely right because of that. 
So yeah, can it happen? I mean, there have been some recently, I think of like gentle and lowly, although that's still probably most popular with the the reformed tribe. And uh, if anyone could do it, it would be a character like a Tim Keller, right? Um, yeah. But even then, you know, you, you hop on Twitter and you see how many people hate Tim Keller's guts. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a particular social media phenomenon, though. I don't. Maybe. Hopefully. I mean, and, and it is kind of a, a certain reformed, a sliver of the reformed kind of camp, I think. Right. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's a sliver of progressives who don't like Tim Keller, but um, oh, yeah. No, it's funny. They yeah. kind of come around and meet. You see them both it's going the after Keller theory. online. Yeah. It's the horseshoe. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, he's <laughs> the one guy. Pattern. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring him up because he's the one guy I can think of who kind of crosses some of those lines with. So, like, you, I could go into, you know, Northshire Books in Manchester, Vermont, which is so very irreligious place. Their religion section is going to be probably 90% Buddhist type books or new right. agey type books, those sorts of things. But they're going to have a couple of Tim Keller titles. He's, he's that big. The publisher that he's with, you know, I think contributes to his reach in those ways. But if I'm going to find an evangelical, it's going to be a, a historical. There's going to be C.S. Lewis in there or something like that. If we would eat, sure. I guess we've sort of adopted him. Um, but in terms <laughs> of like what we would consider evangelical today. Um, well, Bonhoeffer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right, right. Well, yeah, even he, you know, even less so would he be, I think, in the in the stream, I guess, today. But we've co-opted him. Keller would be the only kind of modern author. Maybe there'll be like a Rick Warren book or something in there. But by and large, Tim Keller would be the only guy in there. So he's kind of an anomaly. You know, even a, a figure like, if you go back 40, 50 years, Billy Graham would mm-hmm. be the beloved evangelical, right? Um, right. Everybody loved Billy Graham. We can't even have a Billy Graham anymore, I don't think. No, um, no. It, it doesn't feel like we can, but I think Keller probably comes the the closest there. So here's my perception, brother. A lot more books, which I think for aspiring authors is an advantage. So the odds of getting published, if you're a good writer and have something to say, and can say it well, I think have increased because there's just more, there's more stuff out there even apart from the self-publishing thing. But I also wonder if like quality has kind of, I don't I want to say taken a back seat, but there's just so there's just so much material that maybe yeah. it's harder to find. Maybe that's what it is. It's not that the quality's gone down. It's just it's harder to find those gems because there's a lot of run-of-the-mill type stuff out there. Is that fair yeah. or am I being unfair? Oh, totally. Yeah. I think, yeah. So there's there are more pub- books being published, so the quality goes down naturally. Also I think just because of the dynamics that social media has introduced, sometimes platform becomes more important. And that so was people, my second question. But well, that's okay. your second question. Yeah, keep going. I'm, keep jump, going. I'm jumping way ahead of you. But <laughs> I think, yeah, I've seen some people that, that will focus so much on building a platform, getting an audience, and then they find out they don't have much to say or they don't say it very well. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. And that's one of the things I'll just admit that's frustrating about my industry. I'm fortunate in the sense that I work for a smaller publisher. We're kind of a boutique publisher, maybe midsize, I guess. And we don't have to play the game of just finding the latest Christian, quasi-Christian who is on a reality TV series and getting a book from them. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I'm thankful I don't have to play that game. And not that that's always bad, but you know, those are instances in which, okay, yeah, the quality is not going to be great, right? Maybe it's of use to raving fans of that person or that show. But sometimes when you, it's getting the cart before the horse, when you emphasize platform to a degree that the quality and the message and the execution suffers. Yeah, let me ask about this platform issue. So when I was starting out, brother, this would have been, 
I don't know, mid to late 90s when I was trying to get published. It wasn't until 2009 that I actually did get published, but I was trying for almost 10 years, 12 years, something like that. And I was writing fiction. This question never came up. This is pre-social media. When I started, blogs weren't even a thing. The blogging stuff kind of started early or like late 90s, early 2000s, I think. My first blogging forays were in 2003. It was a very small pond even then, even when blogging became a phenomenon, not everybody was doing it. So the whole thing about like you have a platform, it just, it didn't enter the conversations until about, I'm like midway through trying to get these novels published. That question never came up. It was always, is the book good? Is the story good? Is the writing good? And I was able to get an agent, but not a publishing deal. Then I sort of pivoted based on the circumstances of life towards nonfiction and that was the first thing that my agent said to me was, it'll be much easier to get a novel published than a nonfiction book published because nobody knows who you are. You, you, need a, you need a platform. And at the time, I had no idea, like, first of all, I didn't know why, well, if, why didn't with fiction, all that mattered was if I could write well and had something compelling to say or, or a good story. Why isn't that the case with the nonfiction? Why isn't it just, I write well and et cetera. And it was, no, you really like, at that time, this is, again, sort of pre-Twitter. You know, maybe Facebook was around. I don't know. But it wasn't what Facebook is now or, or what it was more recently. It was more like you don't have a megachurch. Like, you're not a known right. person. I feel like this has only become more and more the case. I'm 24 books in. I still have to write down how many Twitter followers I have on these stupid <laughs> questionnaires. I'm like, have I not proven I can write a book? You've seen my sales. You know, like, you know whether it's worth the risk or not, based on that, at least, I still got to put down how many followers I got on Instagram and all these sorts of things. And it, How big a deal is it? I feel like it's somewhat less of a deal now than it was for probably 10 years previous, but maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. How big a deal is it, this sort of platform thing? So if a guy's listening or a gal's listening yeah. and like, I really want to write, I think I'm gifted, but n- nobody knows who I am on social media. Is, is that just the Achilles heel of, of getting published or what? Yeah. So there's a lot to say there, but, you know, platform, well, first of all, going back, you know, 10 or 20 years, in a way, the advent of social media is a good thing in the sense that it democratized things for writers, right? Because like you said, it used to be, well, if you're going to write a nonfiction Christian book, you got to be a mega church pastor. You have to be the head of a huge organization. That was kind of the only way to get it in the door. Whereas now, if you have something to say and you're good at saying it, you can get online, you can go straight to readers, you can build that audience. And that's pretty cool, right? Because a lot of voices that might not have been heard maybe a generation ago can now be heard. So that's awesome. But on the flip side of that, like I said before, sometimes you get the cart before the horse, you emphasize that too much. Obviously, publishers are looking at that because in in a way, we're not the gatekeepers we once were, right? Because people can self-publish, they can go directly to readers. So often, I think publishers are leaning more heavily on authors. I'll just be honest about this, right? When it comes to marketing, when it comes to getting the word out about their book. And I'm unapologetic about it. When I talk to an author, you know, they'll hand in their manuscript and sometimes I'll say like, hey, listen, great job. You're half done, <laughs> right? Because now you need to get out there. It's terrible. It's the worst. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I know. But yeah, on the pavement. And, and I even had a, like as an author, had an attitude shift about that because initially I was like, oh, this is, man, if I, if I like figured out how much I was making per hour, like I remember with my first book and I did like over a hundred interviews about it and just, you know, pounding the pavement and doing all these little things to get the word out there. And then I realized, hey, this is part of the message of the book too, right? I'm getting to talk about it. It's part of the ministry of the book. And so I can't just kind of go, 
hey, I wrote this thing. I'm done. I'm not going to talk about it. Yeah. So it's important. Now, what I don't think is as important as some people think is just to have like, oh, you got to have 100,000 followers on Instagram. You got to have all these huge metrics. The main thing, at least from my perspective as an editor, what I'm looking for is, is this person engaged with an audience? You know, it's not that they have to be a big deal or famous or something. And I get a lot of people, they're like, they've got this book about how the church should be run. And I'm like, well, are you talking to anyone about this? Like, are you speaking? Are you, do you have a newsletter? Are you, do you have a Facebook group? And sometimes it's like, no, not at all, but I want to talk about it now. And it's like, well, if you're not already engaged with this audience, yeah. um, from a publisher's perspective, that's a tough sell, right? So that's a platform kind of gets to be a dirty word and it certainly can be. And here's another thing we're getting wise to. You can inflate those numbers. People buy Twitter followers. People do all kinds of crazy stuff, right? Although you don't have to look at it very closely to realize when that's happening because their engagement is terrible. And <laughs> so, and yet people try to kind of create this facade that they're a big deal. And, and I really discourage people from doing that. It's got to be authentic. It's got to be something where you're actually engaging with people. So um, that's the kind of platform we want to see. Yeah. So from your perspective, what you're saying is the platform is less about the bigness of your audience, but the authenticity of your audience that you've actually, there's a kind of credibility that, that you have an audience, so to speak, means that there's a credibility for you on this issue or this subject, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's well said. Exactly. That that there's a, like authentic engagement, that you have a real expertise or, you know, something to say on this topic. And that's, yeah, that's what's important. And ultimately, that's what helps books do well, too. I see very few instances where people don't have that sort of engagement in some form with people. They just write a book and it goes gangbusters, right? It's usually sort of an extension of a ministry that's already there. Talk to me about, I get this question a lot, and I really don't know the answer to it 20 years later from, from when I was starting out. Someone wants to know, how do I get a, a book published? Back in my day, you know, when I was a whippersnapper, there were these books, the Writer's Market Guides. I'm sure you've used oh, yeah. those in your past. Yeah. Sally, actually, Sally something. Yeah, oh, shoot. Yeah. Yes. I know what you're right. about. There was a, um, yeah, I used to pick up the Writer's Digest on the newsstand, the little magazine. And I actually just saw some of these books at, at Barnes & Noble the other day, and it kind of you know, took me back. But I, I, went, I went to the library. I found the Writer's Market Guide to Literary Agents, and then there's a Writer's Market Guide to Publishers as well. And you can look up there, and you can see you know, what publishers would fit the kind of thing that you want to write, the different markets, what they're looking for, how to submit it. And then, of course, then you need the Writer's Digest Guide to um, Manuscript Formats, which I, I still have on, on my shelf. So all of my, <laughs> yeah. you know, 20-some books in, all of my manuscripts are formatted like that very first one, right? The, the double-spaced, you know, <laughs> the margins are the same, the outlines are the same, all that sort of deal. Um, <laughs> and, and I didn't know what I was doing. I just, I went to the library, I got a book. There was no website to go to. There was no, you know, I didn't have anyone talking to me, you know, through how to do this. I'm imagining things have changed significantly Back then, I think there were more Christian publishers that received or at least adequately reviewed unsolicited manuscripts. I imagine yeah. that's less the case now. Um, I could be wrong about that, I assume, but I assume it's more important these days to have an agent than it used to be. I, I know not with every publisher, but so somebody asks you, Drew Dick, acquisitions editor, how do I get published? What do you tell them? Yeah. Things have changed, man. I bought that book. I bought it. I didn't go to the library like you, man. I'm not a freeloader. I spent 25 bucks that I didn't have like student loan money or something. Yeah. And I remember like firing off like physical, like query letters yeah. to 
to magazines to like, hey, can I write this article for you? I had the so. little floppy disks. Did you ever send in oh, a yeah. floppy disk? Yeah. I sent no, in I floppy disks. <laughs> like this was this was before they would you know wouldn't take and you email. Probably thought that was like super high tech, right? Yeah, it was like, the little square <laughs> floppy disk with my manuscript on it. I would mail that in, man. Amazing. Yes. Oh, you're bringing back all kinds of memories. Yes, <laughs> things have changed dramatically. Of course, yeah. Although once in a while, it's funny. Not once in a while, actually, quite often we'll get. Like someone just sending us like a big printed out manuscript yeah. in the mail. And it's like, whoa, it. that's it. wild. So yeah, don't do that. Um, and, <laughs> and this is another thing I encourage prospective authors to do. Do not write a book on spec. That's industry talk for on speculation that it will get published. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a mistake I see a lot of people making. They'll just like, okay, I want to write this book. And they'll just go and plow into it and write a 200 page manuscript and then try to shop it to a publisher. Well, even if you have the right credentials and platform and the message is good and it's well-written, often we like to get our fingers in there early and go, hey, this book, a similar book was just published. Can you kind of tweak it and change the angle a little bit? And when the cake is fully baked, it's kind of too late for our input and publishing is a very collaborative thing. So that's that's one thing I tell people. Yeah, don't write it on spec. First, either float an idea, maybe through an agent or directly to an editor then develop a proposal, which as you know, those are, that's a pain in the butt, but mm -hmm. it's like a 10 to 30 page document that you got to gather all this information about yourself. You got to write a few sample chapters. You got to get a table of contents and then you shop that around. Right. Um, and so that's how it works. That's the, the kind of basic approach that you take. And then someone like me gets the, the proposal. And if we like it, we present it to a, a publishing board. And if they like it, then you're off to the races. Um, yeah. Let me ask you, okay, how likely is it? I just want to know what the process is. So you yeah. get manuscripts. Is there somebody before you who's deciding Drew should see these over these? Or is just someone's clicking on, I'm sending, I'm submitting to Moody. Is it popping in Drew Dick's email inbox? Like what's <laughs> the, what's the process of gatekeeping before you see it? If there is one. Yeah. I wish there, I wish there was someone filtering. <laughs> there's not no well no here's the thing so there's you know there's like a, a slush pile right and yeah, i don't exactly. get those books yeah like directly sent to me you know i actually i'm not sure who, who in-house looks at those <laughs> and that's why i advise people don't send it into a general email address like yeah. for goodness sakes here's the thing man it's 2023 everyone is discoverable you can find i got a book deal by pitching a guy through a direct message on twitter okay and I have guessed at people's emails and shot them. Like you, you yeah, can do that. Yeah. It's, it's not rocket science. And you have to be a little, got to have a little gumption and, and moxie in reaching out to some folks. But people like me are pretty easy to find online. Like you said, though, you, you mentioned agents. I think the biggest benefit of an agent, they're great. I, I think they add a lot. But the biggest one is just simply that they know who the editors are. Right. They have their contact info. They have relationships with them. So they can make that introduction. That's yeah. the biggest thing, just to kind of get your foot in the door. Well, I always tell folks to like start by trying to get an agent. It doesn't mean it's impossible to get published without one, but start there because there's at least a presumption when an agent's presenting a manuscript, there's a pre-gatekeeping, right? Because right. an agent will be able to say, or if a publisher, you know, an editor sitting down with an agent, they know already like, okay, this is worth at least listening well to because there's an agent who's representing it. And there's already some gatekeeping that's taking place. He's not just yeah bringing and a good slush you refine the idea. That's right. Craft your proposal, that kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So you're saying it's not impossible for someone who doesn't have a mega church, doesn't have a big Twitter following or Instagram following. They're a good writer, something to say. They've got credibility in that. Maybe they're in ministry of some kind, or or just the subject matter of their book. 
they have some life stakes involved in experience and, and wisdom to share. You're saying it's not impossible for that person to get a fair hearing with an editor. Absolutely not. I think people sometimes, they, they overestimate how difficult it is. I think one thing, though, that is tough, like if you have kind of just kind of a medium sized platform of some kind, a little bit of engagement on social media, maybe a pastor, a small church or something like that. And then you go, Drew, I want to write a book about community, yeah. you know, or God or <laughs> these huge perennial topics. Right. That's t- that's tough. Right. Because then you're going up against the, the Tim Kellers and Max Lucado's. And so you, what you want to find then is a unique angle to kind of differentiate your book. And maybe it, that's because you've gone through a difficult period or, you know, often it grows out of challenges that you've had. So you bring a different perspective to something than just kind of writing a general treatise on the church. Right, right. <laughs> um, and I, I see that from a lot of young guys too, incidentally. So like, yeah, you get this like 28 year old guy who is, you know, fresh with his MDiv and a couple of years of ministry experience and they want to write this tome about how the church should be. And you're like, whoa, let's, <laughs> let's put it in the slow cooker for a few years and come back to me. <laughs> right. So unique angles, like if you're pursuing community, particular demographic or particular experience, community in, you know, rural church setting or experiencing community with special needs kids or something like that, that gives a particular uniqueness yeah, particular or, perspective. Or something counterintuitive too. You know, mm. if we've heard it all before, maybe it's like, when too much community or, you know, when community becomes a bad thing, I don't know, you know, like yeah. <laughs> um, burned out on community, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like a good example of this that that we published, I can't take credit, unfortunately, because it was before my time, <laughs> but is a, a book, When Helping Hurts, you probably heard oh, of it. that's right. Yeah, I read um, it. Yeah. yeah, great book. Anyway, and it was at, at a time, came, came along at a time when evangelicals were, there were a lot of books about, hey, how do we help the, you know, people in the global south? How do we help people in poverty? And this book comes along and goes, hey, just a minute, we need to do those things. But you can actually come into these situations with great intentions and actually mess things up even worse. <laughs> and so that's a good example of like, oh, that's a that's a counterintuitive sort of fresh take on, on a topic that got a lot of attention. And we thought that was going to be, you know, a book that sold five or 10,000 copies. A few people would, would enjoy it. And it just took off. I don't know how many it sold now, but yeah. hundreds of thousands. So, yeah. yeah that's great. Well. I mean, speaking of that, any trends that we should be noticing? What are you seeing from your vantage point as both a editor and also a writer and a reader, I suppose? Um, you're yeah. Kind of, you're kind of on all I read here. once in a while. Yeah, yeah, every now and again, it's probably good to do that. What are you seeing? Um, I guess I'll give you a little bit of a push in one direction. There was a lot of sort of, okay, the, the market's over now that uh, brick and mortar retailers are kind of out of the picture, everything's moving online. That's going to significantly change the entire market. Someone can't walk into a family bookstore right. or Lifeway and discover the books. They have to be either using the right search terms or or something like that. I think there's been kind of a rebound. Barnes & Noble's experiencing a little bit of a rebound. But by and large, the retail trend has been different. There's been a seismic yeah. change there. Anything we noticed there? Like, how? yeah, what's been the impact? How does that affect the writer and that sort of thing? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I haven't really thought about that. And I don't know exactly how that affects, like, what topics that, you know, people are publishing. Um, yeah, it makes it more important, you know, that your title is clear, right? Because people aren't sitting there kind of holding it and flipping it over and reading the, 
back cover copy. Of course, you can scroll down on Amazon a little bit. So yeah, I don't know how that affects things, but it is a depressing trend because I love that experience of just kind of, you know, ambling into a bookstore and leafing yeah. through books and and reading a little bit and not buying it. And sometimes I'll go and buy it on Amazon. So I'm part of the problem. Anyway, <laughs> what was your initial question? <laughs> well, the initial question was just more generally, what are some trends? Oh, trends. And, 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 yeah. If you don't like the retail angle, what about even just themes? Like, are you noticing, mm-hmm. gosh, in the last two years or moving forward, we're going to see a lot more books on this subject, maybe mm. deconstruction and, and that yeah. sort of thing is probably the deconstruction so hot right now. That kind of deal. So, so <laughs> hot right now. Um, we need more books on the emerging church. I think that's the, <laughs> the present. You know, it's funny. My, about a year ago, my dad's like, hey, Drew, I need to talk to you. Have you heard of this thing called the emerging church? Mm. It's, I was like, yep, dad, about 20 years ago. Anyway, that's right. Let's talk about Y2K uh, next. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny though how these things slowly filter through the whole church. Um, so yeah, I mean, in in some ways, I think every second Christian book right now is either directly or indirectly responsed to the secularization problem, right? Hmm. So here we are in America, once considered a Christian nation, whatever that means. But there was a time when Christians kind of had pride of place in the culture. We felt like we occupied the center. Now we're kind of pushed over to the margins. And now we're going, hey, how do we do ministry? In a in a world like this, where yeah, you know all the stats, the rise of the nuns, not the Catholic nuns, the N O N yes, that'd be very religious um, if we had the rise of the that'd be wild, the yeah, like nuns. Forty <laughs> percent of Gen Z were like uh, becoming Catholic nuns. Um, yeah, so I think you see a ton of books that are going like, how do we respond to this? And you know, you get all kinds of responses like, hey, we need to like press in and be culture warriors. We need to retreat. You know, you get the kind of Rod Dreher, Benedict option thing. Mm-hmm. He'd probably say that's a caricature, but anyway, and then all the ones in the middle, right? And so that that's something that is getting a lot of attention, probably needs more. And yet you got to be careful because there are a lot of responses to that problem out there. Uh, also, like you said, and this goes you know, with that is the deconstruction thing. I think we need good stories from people who have been through a season of deconstruction, whatever that means, or even like turn their back on God and then come back. You know, that's what I want to hear. Yeah. I don't want to just hear someone who's just like, oh man, I don't know what I believe anymore. And I want to write a book about it. <laughs> um, so we need hopeful, redemptive stories um, yeah. on that topic, I think. Or even, you know, the unpastoral, you know, this is my take on the deconstruction phenomenon where you just have kind of the red meat to the, this is bad. And here's all the way the reasons it's bad. How about somebody who's actually pastoring people through this? Or they have, yes. they, or their ministry somehow has been involved with, you know, shepherding people through deconstruction or you know that sort of thing. Um, Amen. Yep. Um, anything that you know before we in here, I, man, I could go on and on and on. Actually, maybe we have to do a part two in the next few months or something. But <laughs> um, before we part, anything you got? Anything coming out yourself personally? Anything to promote? Let me give you a platform here. Oh man, <laughs> here I have a chance to promote myself, and I'm speechless. This is terrible. Uh, no, I just turned in the manuscript for my forthcoming book, but it's not out to like the fall. Okay. But it's called Just Show Up. And mm. basically it's about ordinary faithfulness. It's okay. sort of a, a sad midlife manifesto. I nice. hope not too sad. Yeah. Kind of realizing, oh man, I'm not going to be a rock star. I'm not going to be this radical world changer. And then what do you do after that? Well, you know, God just wants us to show up. That's where real so life is at. That's, nice. That's where real life is at. So yeah, that's the the next thing on the horizon. Nice. Well, we look forward to that, brother. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. Thank you. Jared, yeah. appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Thank you. And I'm for real. We, we need to have this conversation in a much longer yes. format at some point. 
there's there's a lot more to be said if we haven't bored people here. I don't know. <laughs> it's a lot of insider. Hey, can I ask, can yeah. I just add one more thing? Sure. So one thing that I think is important for people like me and actually for readers is if we're considering a book either to acquire, to read, one good question I've found for myself is I ask, would I trust this person to be my spiritual leader, mm. right? Would I trust this person to be my pastor? And I'm I'm thinking specifically when it comes to Christian nonfiction. Yeah. And if the answer is no, because <laughs> they don't have the character, or they don't have the credibility, then maybe it's not a good person to be writing a book. So mm. that, that's a gut check for me. Yeah. I've, I've found that, hey, listen, and I think it, if more of us would think along those lines, it would solve a lot of the problems we've seen with these high profile people that, that sell a million books and yet don't have the character to back it up. Mm, that's a whole other conversation I'd love to have. That's as, a whole other well. one. That's setting up part two. That's yeah, setting up how, part two. What's the publisher's responsibility in that aspect, the character, the transparency? Because, yeah, anyway. I, I'm, we, I, was we about, have some. I was about Absolutely. to walk through the door and we, we don't have time to do that. <laughs> Dear listener, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.